Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? So I am Mandy Walsh and I'm originally from Clondalkin and I now live in Trim County Mead where I've been living for um, 22 years. Mandy, we go back a very long time. I think, yeah, it's a long, 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 long time. Yeah. Probably about 12, 13 years maybe. Yeah, probably more. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's because you're in travel and I'm in travel and that's how we know each other. And we'll talk maybe a little bit about travel at the end because I kind of want to hear what's going on for, with you guys. Um, but I always knew there was a backstory to Mandy or that there was a, you went through a journey, you walked the walk of some, some sort of story. Um, so from the very beginning, do you want to tell me about your life? Yep, <laughs> um, very normal um, upbringing, um, two sisters, mom and dad, hard workers, mm-hmm. and um, I got a job when I was 15, wanted a job, mm-hmm. the girls were all getting jobs in the pubs, and my dad was like, oh, you're not getting a job in the pub, I'll get you a job, so I got a job in big toy shop in Clinton Village, and I was 15, and grand, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, and odd evening at the weekends, and I thought this was great, and um I had a f- um, loads of friends from there that worked there, and, and I met Brian. Brian would have been five years older than me at the time, so okay. being 15 and 20, we were just friends. Yeah. Um, I was obviously still in school, and you know we'd have great crack and banter at the weekends when, he'd be, when we'd be on the same shift, and you know you, you kind of realised after a while, you know, you'd be looking to see, was he on? Mm. And, you know, you'd have a great day, great crack and great fun. And, you know, I'd be watching him and all his friends going out on a Saturday night. Like, they'd be going into town and going mm. to the Globe and mm. re-raw. And I didn't even know what these places were. Yeah, I was yeah. 15, 16, 17, mm. this type of thing. Mm. And then it came to my Debs and he was saying, are you bringing me to my de- to your Debs? Mm. I was like, no, I'm not. Like, yeah. you know, because he was... Uh, all into the doors and right. you know that kind of music scene and stuff like that and you know he, he used to slag me saying I'd wear a pale blue suit in mm. and a frilly short and all this and I was like eh no oh <laughs> like, my you god know. yeah I mean, even my mom said it to me would you not bring Brian to your Debs yeah. no no I'll get someone or whatever so that was fine um and then when I was about 18 um he left yeah um the shop to go work for HMV right and I remember I was going, like, you know, it was sad. It was mm. like, oh, God, you know. And a few months later, um, it was New Year's Eve, and there was a big, uh, like, disco in the in the GAA club, um, New Year's Eve, mm. and his brother was working in the shop at the time. And I remember saying, like, well, Brian and his friends, are they going tonight? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So myself and Brian... Um, Did you get dolled up going then? Oh, dolled up. <laughs> the black knee-high boots and the white shirts <laughs> and the tartan skirt, the whole shebang. I was tiny, like... And Brian was quite tall and um, broad. He was a big guy, like... So ended up... Anyway, ended up with Brian. Brian. <laughs> so started going out with him. Um, yeah, it was, it was just normal, like, you know relationship you know go to the cinema and I was in college and I left then to go to live in England um, I did two years in college here and then I went over to Buckinghamshire College in High Wycombe to do a degree in travel management and like it was hard like mm. you know and I remember the day I left um, I was driving my mum's car at the time and you know Brian didn't drive and I dropped him to HMV in the square in Tala and came back to the house I was roaring crying my mum's like he dumped you didn't he no, <laughs> didn't. Yeah. So we, you know, I commuted back and forth. He came over. He'd save his money. Um, actually, only recently, um, because I put a lot of stuff um away. I, I found all the letters that he wrote oh, really? to me when I lived in England, and I only found them really recently. Oh my um, god! And I was reading them, and I was like, oh my god! And it was yeah. so funny. Yeah. Telling me about because he used to go to all these, um, you know. Uh, launches of albums right. and like um the prodigy and all of this Stop. like yeah so he, he'd get to go to all of that being in hmv like yeah. you know and i was reading all these and all these letters and who he was with oh, and, and then he'd be telling me about the lads and the girls and who was after having a row with who and i was like oh my god i'd forgotten all of this yeah, you know yeah. and uh, yeah and, like life was good um we bought our first house in 2000 and um i was age was I at the time 2000 20, 26 or mm. whenever um happy out and uh, we bought a house in Trim Brian was obsessed with Braveheart he'd gone to really? see Braveheart about eight times in cinema <laughs> and we had looked a couple of houses other places and decided yeah Trim is for us right. and moved into our house in Trim he changed jobs um in the prior to this as well and um he was now a prison officer in Mount Joy okay so very different. Yeah. Lots, lots going on. I was mm. still doing travel. Still, mm. you know, it's, I was pretty much doing the same thing. Mm. Um, but he had a good few changes. And, and that was a huge change for, for us. Yeah. There was things that were different, like for when we'd go out and we'd have to leave somewhere. He'd say to me, we have to go. Okay. And you'd go, really? <laughs> the yeah. girls in the gang would be like, why are you leaving? Yeah. Brian says, we have to go. And they don't, they don't, they understood and it was just just the way that it was he'd mm. say to me look there's somebody here and they've already made comment as to who i am and what i do so he would be very protective of me yeah. he was and he said i don't want that ever you know were you scared at all no i never used to be scared because you know i just mm. i suppose being that bit younger than him um i would have very much not 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 that i i you know, it wasn't me because I was younger. You know, I still very much I admired him, and I, yeah. you know, I knew he his 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 first thoughts would be me. Yeah, and that would be fine. You know, and um, were you scared for him when he going to like go work in the morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you would often think like, and he he never used to tell me much. In right. fairness, he he didn't tell me much. Um, he would take his shoes off um, at the front door. He would never bring his shoes into the house really? that he wore in there like you know and he'd leave them in the boot of the car you know and okay you know it was like he was leaving it Day. outside yeah you know and you know he, he he made some amazing friends in there he, and he was only there for like a couple of years and one one day it was august the 15th um 2002 i'll never forget it was a scorcher blue skies 
you know, mm-hmm. normal day in work. He'd been feeling unwell a couple of weeks beforehand and he'd gone to the doctor and the doctor said to him, take a couple of weeks off work. You're probably a bit stressed, mm. you know. And he took about a week off work and then Brian being Brian was like, I'm grand and I'm yeah. bored and we've bills to pay and a car to pay, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm going to go back to work. And uh, we'd gotten engaged only on the Christmas day beforehand, like, mm. and we'd, you know, booked the wedding and everything. And he'd be conscious of that, like, mm, you know, whereas mm. I used to be more like, sure, it'll be grand. Yeah, yeah. But he would worry. Yeah. And he went back to work and that morning, he, about six, half six, he stood at the end of the bed and he said, I'm, you know, feeling much better and, you know, mightn't go to the gym at lunchtime, but sure, I'll chat mm. to you later. And he rang me during morning break maybe nine half nine or whatever and he gave me an inquiry for one of the lads for a honeymoon right okay. and and like this is this is what how we were and, yeah. you know and back in the old day you know where you took down the inquiries yeah. and pen and paper yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were only getting into emails 20 yeah. years ago i yeah. suppose and uh, i said yeah grand he said i ring you at lunchtime and i says grand i'll have it ready i'll give you all the details so a couple of hours later, he rang me and the first thing I said was, oh my God, I haven't got it done yet. It's not lunchtime. And yeah. I told you lunchtime. He says, no, no, I'm feeling much better. I'm going to go to the gym. Right. He says, I'll get it off you during my tea break. It was about four o'clock. I says, grand, chat to you then. So um, that was fine. Um, we used to close the shop from one to half one. We used to have a lunch half hour. Yeah. <laughs> and I was working at the time in Dunshockland Travel in Dunshockland Village. Yeah. So it was quite small. Um, and the girl that worked with at the time lived there. So she'd go home at lunchtime okay. and she'd go up the road and whatever. And we'd lock the shop for the half an hour and I'd have my sandwich at the desk or whatever. Mm. But at, on this day, um, a customer had come in who was actually a colleague of Brian's and he was collecting his tickets. Yeah. She went off and I, you know, did my thing and I was giving out the tickets and whatever. And the phone in the office started to ring and I ignored it. And then my mobile began to ring and I turned it over and it was one of the lads from job yeah. again and I remember saying to the guy in front of me Asher it's only such and such I'll ring him back in a minute gave him out his tickets and off he went now that guy probably remembers everything I actually don't even remember who he is a lot of stuff I don't remember yeah. and you'll probably hear me say that a little bit I think your brain just shuts down stuff that mm. it doesn't need maybe when mm. you go through stuff um so I rang the guy back that had rang my mobile and I said, oh, everything okay? What's up? You know, thinking it was another inquiry yeah. <laughs> because that's why yeah. they used to ring me. And he said, look, there's been a bit of an accident in the jail and we need you to come. And I said, oh, okay, still like, what is it? And he said, oh, you know, do you want me to come get you? And I said, no, no, should my car's outside the door. I'll be there in half an hour. just done chocolate to Fibsborough. And yeah. I was like, he says, okay, that's fine. Rang my boss. He was in the other branch in Dunboyne, and I said, look, I have to go. There's been an accident. He says, yeah, go. I said, um, Pauline's out on her lunch. She'll be back in half an hour or whatever. So I got into my car, and I drove to Fibsborough. And you know, do you know on the Cabaret Road, do you know where the McDonald's is yeah. on the right-hand side? Do you know where the traffic lights are there? I, the lights went red really suddenly, and I had to slam on the brakes because I like was hair's breadth from the car in front yeah. of me. And while I was sitting in the car... I just knew Brian was gone. Did you? I just got this feeling because I had been thinking, had he been stabbed? Had he been in a fight? Yeah. You know, jail-related things were in my head. Yeah. And then I realised, sure, he was on his lunch break. He was in the gym. You know, I was like, sure, like, if he broke his arm or something, like, sure, why would they be calling me, you know? 
And I just got this re... I can't explain it, but to this day, I just got this feeling that Brian was gone. And when I drove on and I went through the lights in Fibsborough, I just knew um, all the um, guys from the, his colleagues were all on the road and they were waiting for me. You could just see all the uniforms. And I remember thinking, wow, like, you know. And I pulled into the gates and the car door was opened. Don't even remember who. <laughs> or, you know, they remember who they were. And they brought me across into the matter. And they were all down the corridors. And I still was like, what is going on? Will someone tell me? Mm. And they were like, we don't know, Mandy, we don't know. And I was brought into like kind of what was like an A&E, I suppose, type area. And it was it was like, you know, it was like stepping into a, a movie, like a scene yeah. from ER or whatever. That's kind of what I felt like. And um, a nurse came over to me and she says to me, do you know who I am? And I says, yeah, you're my neighbour. Oh my god! And she says, "Yeah, I live two doors down from you." But because we were only in our house, say two, two and a half years, yeah. you know yourself at that age. You go in, you go out. Mm. You know, Brian obviously had had um, would have seen her more because they'd have been going in and out at the same time. Yeah. Shift work, yeah. You know the eight to eight kind mm. of shift that the nurses and mm. you know the the guards and the prison officers all do that kind of same type of shift. Yeah. Like you know, so she said, "Yeah," and she says, "I have Brian in here," and she said, um, "You know, just you know, come in and." say hello and she said um I, I can't even really remember what she said to me but yeah. she said you know you might get a bit of fr- bit of a fright she said there's a lot of machines still didn't know I still did not know what was going on I still yeah. didn't know what had happened and he was on a bed and like Brian was qu- quite tall and quite broad and very fit very strong very healthy you know there was just tubes and wires and machines. And they were in his throat and in his mouth. And they'd cut off his clothes. And it was just all very surreal and not really known. Still, what, what's wrong? Yeah. What has happened, you know? And she handed me his watch. And her, it was like, you know those, remember the big Casio G-Shock yeah. with the leather strap? Yeah. But they'd cut it off. Right. And they just handed me his watch. And they handed me his two rings, which I put on me that day and... Never, ever, ever took off. And I've had a few pieces taken out of them, yeah. so they fit me. Um, and she said, somebody be with you soon. She said, but you need to ring everybody. And I said, okay. And I remember going back outside. I had rang my mom on the way in to say, yeah. you know, this Brian has had an accident in his job or whatever, so I'll be in touch. So I rang his sister and I said, you need to ring, you know, your mom and your dad and your brother and... Um, I said, I don't know what's wrong. They haven't told me what's wrong. We're waiting to see a doctor, but, you know, you just need to get here and then they're going to tell us what's wrong. And I rang my mom and she only worked on the Long long Mile Road at the time, so she got there pretty quick. Mm. And we were brought into this room and when I say it was two foot by four foot, that's all it was. I remember the doctor in front of me was probably no more than the same age as Brian. It was only 30 at the time. And his sister was... At one side of him were a partner and a newborn baby and his little carry thing. She'd only had a baby. And my mum was to my right. And the doctor just looked at me and he said, um, I'm really sorry, Mandy, but he says, Brian has had um, a massive subaroid, sub, subaroid, uh, subarachnoid brain hemorrhage. I can't even say the word now. Mm. And he said, um, it's a big, big bleed. Um, 
He said, Brian probably only has 24 hours left to live. He says, you need to ring all his friends and his family and they need to come to say goodbye. And it was just, you know, I remember looking at me mum and saying, tell him he's wrong. Like, mum. Yeah. <laughs> I think my mum just knew. Yeah. Um, she'd lost her sister a few years before to a brain hemorrhage and she, yeah. I think when she heard brain hemorrhage, she knew Brian's gone, you know. And his sister said to the doctor, you know, is there anything we can, can we get a second opinion? He said, you can. But he said, Brian's brain hemorrhage was really big. He said it to the forefront of the brain. Brian will never speak. Brian will never do anything ever again for himself if he woke up. But we think that in the next 24 to 48 hours, Brian will be gone. And yeah, it was just such... Like How old were you? I was 26. He was 30. I'd only got engaged, as I said, on Christmas Day. And I'd waited so long. <laughs> Every Christmas, everyone used to say, did you get the ring? <laughs> did you get the ring? Nope. <laughs> you know, we'd actually bought the ring in October in Corfu. And he, um, he, he didn't give it to me on, on Christmas Day, on Christmas morning. Like, we got up and there was no, there was no ring. And I was like, oh, my God, we knowing that the yeah. ring was in the house. And it was, and, and you didn't give it to me. He didn't give it to me. And, you know, we went to Mass, and I remember we, it was snowing in Trim that Christmas morning, and all around the castle was white and covered in snow. Oh, my God. And on the way back from Mass, he got down on his knee at Trim Castle and in the snow <laughs> took out the ring that I'd been dying to get. And I remember going over to me mum and dad's and saying, you know, I had gloves on, and they were like, well... No, pretended no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I took off the glove. And yeah, it was, it was just, you know, I suppose we had the life that was simple. It was happy. It was normal. And it all just in seconds. That was it. It was, so we, we started to ring people. I had to, you know, ring everyone. And oh my God, his friends, my friends, family, they came from everywhere. They came from Limerick, Cork. God. Yeah, so um, he was in ICU, and then after a couple of days in ICU, then they said to me at the hospital, you know, we we have to stop people coming. There's just too many. Brian yeah. was so well loved by so many people, and he had so many friends in all of his all of his walks of life, from his days in the shop, from the days of HMV, from the days in the jail, his friends from school and college, like he, yeah. and and then being in the travel trade as well, yeah. I had mm. huge amount of friends. Um, and everybody, everyone just wants to be there for him and for us. And in the end, the hospital said, you know, yeah. we have to stop them coming. And so he eventually went from ICU into high dependency. Then he went from high dependency into obviously a lower dependency. And then he went into a, a lower... It, to be honest, when you think about it now, he was nearly, it was nearly like he was being moved out of the hospital. Yeah, as yeah. As the weeks, and I say when the weeks went on. So remember they said it was 24. 24 to 48 hours. Seven and a half weeks later, we were still there. Um, now obviously he'd been moved from each area. Yeah. And then it got to a point, the seventh week, where the hospital said, we can't provide 24-hour care for Brian anymore. Which I didn't think was a, I didn't think that was a thing. I thought yeah. it was a given. I thought, but, but no. <laughs> Um, they said, you know, you're going to have to um, do a rota, you know, get someone to sit with him at night time. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, so in their job, they have a medical aid. Yeah. So I um, 
the boys from the job were back and forth all the time. Yeah. They were there when I wasn't there with him. And when his family went there with him, there was always somebody with him. He was never on his own. And they, they, they kind of did what they needed to do. And the medical aid kicked in and we hired a private um, agency to sit with him at night time that we had to pay for. Well, the medical aid did, right? So that was fine. And the, the nurses would come in at night time and we'd swap over some, you know, and they would be there from, say, maybe eight or nine at night, till eight or nine the next morning. And then myself and his family and friends would, would kick in during the day. And then the guys said to me... Um, um, the medical aid needs to stop, like, will stop soon. I was like, but sure, like, what do you mean it'll stop? It's only just started paying because yeah. the hospital. So then I was brought over to the governor in, in, in the jail. Right. One, like, maybe one afternoon. And I had to plead my case in there and say, please don't take away the medical aid. Like, please leave us with the medical aid. Give me one more week. And he said to me, I don't even remember who the governor was now. He said to me, you know, but you don't know that it'll be one more week. And I says, I do. I just know. It's, it's, he's not got long left. Just give me one more week. And no word of lie, about maybe less than 40 hours later, probably 24 hours later, mm. I went in one morning and... The physios, the young physios were doing their work on them where they used to try and bring up the oxygen level and the little machine was on it and you could see the oxygen rate on the machine and they were working away and working away. And God love them. He was still so big and strong that it yeah. needed two of them to turn him over, like even them. And they were working on him for about an hour and one of the nurses or physios said to me, it's not working. It's, you know, and I looked at him and he, he was a different colour that day. He was grey. It was just, I knew it was today. And it was a, I think, I'm, I'm nearly sure it was a Monday. And I rang his mum and she said, um, well, we've been here before. And I says, I know. But I said, I, I, I just believe, I just know today's different. He looks different. It's, it's today. So, um, you know, people started to come and, priest who was a friend of ours he worked over in the jail as well and we had booked him for our wedding and everything he was he was in and out and father Declan was his name he was lovely he actually um was good friend with you know Stephen from Boyzone and yeah. he conducted that funeral as oh well God, yeah. Declan he was so nice and um he was in and out that day and um to make a sad story even more sadder my mom and dad were in Manchester that day my mom's sister one of her other sisters had had a brain hemorrhage the week before in Manchester while Brian was in his coma from his brain hemorrhage. And they had gotten the ferry to Manchester to bury Lily. And I had to ring my mum and dad and say, will you get the ferry back tonight? God. And come to me because it's tonight. And um, about half 11 that night they got to the hospital and they said their goodbyes and... Um, Mandy, just pull that in a little bit to you. His mom had said, you know, maybe everyone should go home. And, you know, some people went home and others stayed. And there was a, a room, like a family room, you know, down mm. the corridor. And I would be up and down to the room and people would be up and down to us. And one of the lads came down to me and he said to me, he said, you know, come down and sit with him. And I said, I can't even hold his hand. There's too many people. And mm. I can't. And he says to me, you know, come on, come down. And I went down to the room and 
time ticked by and the nurses came in and the priest said his prayers and it was actually quite funny. Um, the, the nurse was taking his pulse and she says um, he's gone and that he'd breed. Oh <laughs> and this went on for minutes yeah, yeah. and I started to laugh and some of the lads started to laugh because yeah. Brian was, if you knew Brian, he was the life and soul of every party. He was the last man standing. He'd, you know, you know, the canismitics in his hand and singing the ballads and you know he you know mm. he was the last and I laughed and I was mm. like my god this is so you you know mm. and his aunt was on the other side of the table and she came around to me and she said to me there's only one person in this room that can let him go and it has to be you she said to me you need to go up to him you know and you need to tell him to leave so I went up and I whispered in his ear that Brian I'll be okay it's time to go Brian stopped breathing and that was it and gone and um, look I'm probably still traumatised <laughs> from it all um, it's 20, 20 years ago this year which is a lifetime I've had another life you know um, and I left the room and I rang my mum and dad and I rang with my closest friend with this three of us were friends from school and I rang one of the girls and she says well I won't ring Fiona till the morning she said I'll let her sleep and I'll ring her and I rang, I had rang my mum and she said we'll come get you I says no no someone will bring me home and like all the lads we bring, bring you home so um, we lived in Summerhill and Mead at the time my mum and dad did and I had obviously moved into their house from the 15th of August so this is now the 1st of October um, and it's a funny story, when Brian worked in HMV one year at Easter time, I worked in the square as well, mm. literally just a few feet away. So my, my office was there and his was there and he bought me this bunny rabbit from the Hallmark card shop for Easter. <laughs> and one of the lads used to say, it looks like it has the mange. Because <laughs> it was really skinny in the middle, it was this little brown right. white mm. rabbit. Uh, like like a bunny, like mm. a baby rabbit. Right. And this is no word of a lie. We were on our way back to the um, house, uh, probably about three in the morning, country road, and Mick, who was from Limerick, um, one of the lads from the job, slammed on the brakes. I was like, what are you doing? You know, I was half asleep. Mm. And it was this little bunny rabbit. Oh, my God. <laughs> in the God. middle of the road. And it just... Like, looked at us, obviously, for a minute, because it was dazzled by the lights, yeah. and hopped into the into the bushes. And I just looked at Mick, and I says, if only you knew. Because, obviously, he wouldn't have known about yeah. the pony rabbit. Yeah. And I still have the pony rabbit. <laughs> oh but I remember thinking, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll always mind me. He'll always be there. Yeah, so it was... It, it was hard. It's still hard. Um, I get upset because people think I haven't moved on. And I have, of course I have. Um, I did get engaged. I did get married. I do have a beautiful daughter. My marriage didn't work out. Um, Some people will say it's because you still loved Brian. That's probably a huge part of it. But then we were just two different people as well and that didn't work out. Um, So... um, yeah, I've been single for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the lads who laugh, they say, sure, he wouldn't want you to be with them. Yeah, <laughs> he just yeah, loved you, he yeah. protected you, he minded you, he worshipped the ground you walked on. Mm. Part of him would be glad. Mm. Um, you know, people say to me all the time, are you unhappy? 
I wouldn't say I'm unhappy. Am I happy? Yeah, I'm grand. Mm. <laughs> I, you know, I, my, my job has been a huge part of me from the time I was 17 and even through all that time, even in those seven weeks that Brian was in, in the coma, I would still go to work a couple of hours a day. Just I wanted to, to ask you that. I did because I needed to as well. I was the manager of two shops with like, you know, eight or nine staff. And, you know, it, it was important to me as well. And I couldn't sit there 24-7 anyway mm. by his side. And, it, you know, I would go in and out and I'd do a few hours and then I'd go to the hospital or I'd go back and I'd do a few hours. And um, my, my bosses were amazing. Like they, they paid me like in full okay. completely. And then I suppose about a week after he was gone, and the funeral and everything was out of the way. They came to me and they said, right, we need you back. Mm. <laughs> and it was, look, the, that year, that, that first year, I will always say it is the hardest year. It's the first of everything. It's the first birthday. Like Brian actually died on the 1st of October, um, but his birthday was the 29th of September. So he actually was in a coma on his 31st birthday. And I had given him a surprise birthday on his 30th, which he'd have hated with a passion. Mm. And we had the best night. And I always was so grateful that I did that for him. Because even now, the last photos that a lot of people have mm. were at his 30th birthday with him. You know, and the week actually that he actually had the brain hemorrhage, which was the 15th of August, we had had two or three events that week. Okay. Another prison officer actually had died of a brain hemorrhage in Leash, a female prison officer. And we'd been to her um, funeral, which was horrendous. Um, I think we were at another party f- for something. And then one of his friends got married, one of his close friends that from Clondalkin that been friends all of his life, had actually got married on the Monday and had the brain hemorrhage on the Thursday. So it was nearly like, oh, it was actually a family wedding that we'd had the weekend before. Mm. So it was like in those seven days before Brian had that brain hemorrhage, he'd been with everyone in mm. all kind of sides of his life. If you get me, he'd yeah. been with his colleagues, been with a lot of his family, and he'd been with all his school friends and Clondalkin friends. And I just always think, isn't that really strange? Mm. That you wouldn't see some of those people from yeah. one end of the year to the other. But mm. he had seen all those people in those seven days. So you'd shock for all those people. Yeah. So, you know, and I always say it, you know, I didn't just lose Brian. Mm. So many people lost Brian on so many levels. I know to this day that some of his friends still hurt like I hurt. You know, and they still reach out when it's his birthday or my birthday or they see something that he'd like, or there's a song that he liked, and they'll still message me, and they'll still say, wouldn't, wouldn't he love that? You know, or, you know, and they'll still message me at Christmas, and they'll still say to me, I hurt so much. And they hurt because they know I hurt. Um, but I'd like to think he's proud. <laughs> I'd like to think... I'd, he'd give out to me for all the tears. Mm, mm. <laughs> My sister gives out to me all the time. She says, you cry the drop of ash. And I don't think I used to. I wouldn't know that about you. Yeah. Because I can't public speak um, at all anymore without getting a lump in my throat. Um, I did um, a lot of networking um, for years and that really helped with my speaking um, and then I obviously gave that up because I got so busy and then we obviously have had COVID mm. so I actually spoke for public in public um, 
about the last two years um, at, at our um, recent travel conference there in November. And, and that was really hard. Um, and I, I got to the end without crying. Did you? <laughs> and the first thing my sister said, did you cry? Yeah. <laughs> and I went, well, I got through it without crying. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I know. I, I, I don't... You know me as well from, mm. from work, but you also know me from Facebook. Yeah. And I... What you see is what you get. I don't really hide stuff. Mm. I don't put sad stuff up. Mm. You know, I, I won't put up if I've been, if I've had a, you know, a, a bad night where I've dreamt of Brian and I've woke up in tears because it still happens. And it, in fairness, COVID brought a lot back, and it's hard to it's hard to explain that. Um, but I always I wrote an article for Image Magazine a few years ago. And in that article, I said that nobody can take travel from me and nothing can take travel from me. And as bad as things got when I was grieving, um, when I was trying to, you know, struggle through life, Mm. I would cry in my car and I still cry in my car. I don't know. It must be like a safe space Mm. type thing. Um, But I would see an articulated truck coming the other way and I'd say, I could just drive out in front of that and it will end the hurt. I just... I could end this pain by just driving out. And I never did because I love my family and friends so much and they love me and they love Brian. And I know that I could never put anyone through any more pain than they've, than they've been through. And I just said to myself, you have to dig deeper. You have to find a strength inside you. And you have to keep going, whether it's for you, for him, for my beautiful Ella that I have now. Um, and she wouldn't see this side of me at all. Because it's, Brian was before her. Yeah. And she's 14, going on 15, which is, as you know, a hard age mm-hmm. as it is. And I hide a lot of stuff. But in saying that I hide it, I hide it from her. I talk to my friends. I wear my heart on my sleeve and I've no shame in, in my tears. Um, and I, I, when, when I wrote that article, um, like I said, I said in the article that no one can take travel from me. And then all of a sudden you had COVID. And I went through all those waves of grief again when we locked down that, for that March 2020. I was dreaming of a morning, noon and night. I was waking up. You know when you wake up for that nanosecond that you thought this is a a dream and then you realized it wasn't um so i went through you know all the different you know the anger (laughs) the depression you know the shock the denial all those the anger all the different stages of grief you know have hit me at, at different stages of my life over and over and over again in those 20 years um and yeah there's not a day go by i don't think of them there's not a day goes by that he doesn't cross my mind and yeah some people get annoyed some people have things to say you know and people say you know it's 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 not the way to live you you know you should be there's more to you but as I said I'm happy out like you know what I mean I'm I love what I do I love what I have I've worked hard to keep what I have you know whether it's our home you know you know give Ella what you know yeah she's spoiled rotten (laughs) and I wish she wasn't spoiled um planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But like I'm on my own with Ellis and she's four and she's nearly 15. So that has brought hard times as well. You know, that was, you know, separation, divorce, <laughs> all that drama. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I do like to say that, you know, by talking about this, say, to yourself or to other people, that someone can find some solstice in it. You know, there's a, you know I, I follow a lot of people on social media that have lost people and, you know, I, I don't even reach out to them um, because that's not why they're sharing their story. I will often throw a picture up of Brian um, on my social media. It might just be a picture of us on our holliers mm. from... 20 25 years ago and you know it's a happy memory mm. you know tans and smiles and you know we had our whole lives ahead of us we had plans you know we had dreams and to look at those photos and to, to, to think back to those times they make me happy and when I post a picture and people start saying oh are you okay oh you know I'm here if you need you and you know yeah it's fab but that's not why I do it I do mm. it because it was a happy moment and it's a, a moment where I can look at that picture and go yeah you know we had good times and I'll never forget them like you know he was a good guy um who did not deserve to go the way that he did but you're like who does um he was fit he was strong he played rugby for for Millmount Rugby Club he had chicken and fish he had a few points at the weekend like any 30 year old would have yeah. but he was healthy and he was fit and he was strong but like most Irish men, mm. sure, I'll be grand mm. and they won't go to the doctor. Now, mm. he did go to the doctor, but look, back then he just had a headache and the doctor just said, look, should take a week off work. And that's what he did. But 
Can I ask you, did you go back to the house and trim and what was that like the yeah. first time walking through those doors? I used to go in and out a little bit while he was sick, mm. even I'd sit on the stairs or sit on the bed. Um, but it took till about the February. I, you know, unlike that mum dad didn't want me to leave, mm. you know. Um, but I, by, by the February of the following year, I was like, no, it's, it's time now. And I got a lodger, um, another girl from the travel trade, mm. a few years younger than me. And it was a two bedroom house. So she had one room and I had the other and just got back into, you know, his clothes hung in the wardrobe for a long time. His clothes actually are still in boxes in my mum's hot press or uh, her attic. They give out to me all the time to come take them. Mm. <laughs> and it's not because I don't want to get rid of them. It's just life takes over and stuff gets in the way. And um, like I said, I, I found, I went up into the attic before Christmas and I it actually was, uh, he would have been 50 in September. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take out some old photos and, and put up photos of him in all his walks of life. Mm-hmm. And I took out this box and it was just full of, albums out because I used to put everything into photo albums Mm -hmm. and it was full of albums and letters and stuff and I spent weeks um prior to Christmas just gone going through them all and it it it, it knocked me because reading the letters reminded me how much he loved me Mm. and how you know just the connection we had and it was just it was nice and um yeah you just got back into the norm with the house I still have the house do you yeah family have been living there for 11 years <laughs> I don't I've only stepped into it once you know and know. you said there it was the February mm-hmm. a lot of people and I was very conscious of it especially this year a lot of people struggle massively with grief going into a new year yeah um I suppose for me I struggle more around um August September October like the day he got sick mm. the, the day of his birthday Two days later, he passed away. We were to get married on the 9th of October 2003 in Cabra Castle. And, like, you know, I had to, I had to get my mum to get the deposit back and cancel the date. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's... And all, you know, all those things m- m- kind of upset me more than the new year. Mm. You know, for me, and you know, being in the travel trade, January is yeah. awesome. Yeah. You run on adrenaline. Yeah. You don't eat properly, you don't sleep properly, and you just go through January in a blink. And that's why we're sitting here in February. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you just, <laughs> yeah. January is just a blur. Um, and yeah, I, I look, I'm not really the whole new year, new me, mm. you know. We don't have know. time for it. Yeah. And, and look, I do mm. believe for us, for the next few months, it's going to be as hectic as January mm. always mm. was. And look, we deserve it. We've, we've had a quiet rough you know 22 months or whatever but um yeah when I do stuff and I achieve stuff in work and I I'm very ambitious in work and probably too ambitious at times and I set myself goals and then I you know well I've reached that so I push in Mm -hmm. but always in the back of my head is would he be proud of me would he be would he be happy would he, is he looking down at me saying well done and his friends message me and go he'd be so proud of you mm. <laughs> you know and I you know it, it's not that I do all of this for that it's what just I suppose is that bit of push that's that's my push mm. you know is that you know. do you think that it's it's what drives you sometimes, that you lost Brian sometimes yeah yeah you know I was very quiet I was very shy um 
Brian was the one who would speak if we were at anything. He was just got that he had a bigger personality like than me. And um, I do know a lot of my my strength I I that I found came from his past, and and I do believe and I know I'm a very very different person twenty years on. Um, and some of the things I wish when he was sick, um, I wish when his funeral was being organised that I had a bigger voice, that I was able to stand up to other people that had bigger personalities and say, no, this is what Brian would have wanted. This is what Brian would have liked. But I just let people because it was easier. And I think because I let that happen back then, there's this kind of a fight inside me now that says, no, you know, and you know, it's partially a reason why I walked away from my marriage because I felt this isn't enough. Whereas the old Mandy would have accepted it as mm. being enough. Mm. But this Mandy says, no, that's not enough. I deserve so much better. My, you know, my family and friends deserve so much better. And if I'm a better person and a happier person, well, then, then they all are. Because mm. um, I know to this day, and I do feel guilty about it, my friends and family worry still about me. Because they often see me sad. You know? Uh, but I'm not sad all the time. No. You know that. No, I know. <laughs> you see mm, me mm. when I'm out. Mm. And yeah, I'm known to shed a tear with too many vodkas on, but sure, who does? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but y- you know me. Yeah. I'm, I'm As I said, I wouldn't have known that thing and you've just you've nearly killed me with your comments today like you know and I wouldn't know because when we're together we have a ball yeah. you know what I mean we have a ball because we're always doing we're at something we love yeah. and we're just enjoying ourselves yeah. and yeah. we always have it and it is hard to think that behind it all there's always a thought and it's something that we say we never know yeah you, ne- you, you never know you know the old saying what goes so, on behind closed doors you know and yeah. you know it's like people's lives, people's marriages, you know, and they all seem perfect. Yeah. But I do know. Yeah. Because when you've lived through something that you, you just say to yourself, oh, that rosy couldn't be, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, Can you talk about that? And I know we'll go in and we, I know we'll be careful because we've it and so on. But how scary is it for other people out there who are in a marriage that maybe is they're not getting the love they deserve or they're not you know they're not unhappy how scary is it to make the decision yeah. to walk away from something it's, it's a huge um how how i found that strength i i'll never know and i i think back to those years where i was just going through the motions and i was just so so unhappy and i was probably still dealing with the loss of brian as well so then to have this thrown into the mix and a newborn you know and it was so hard. I just knew, and I, I, I suppose there was a catapultist or a catalyst in mm. the situation that made me made my decision easier. And even though the couple of years after making the decision were still very hard, you know, there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of resentment, there was just a lot of nastiness. Um, I just knew it was the right thing to do, and. I hurt a little bit sometimes when Ella is talking about her friends and their mum and dad and her their friends and their mum and dad and you know she has me and her dad and we're separate and we're completely separate we've got no relationship at all um, but she's that bit older now that it's a little bit easier mm. you know we don't have to communicate because mm. of her age mm. um, and she has her life with me and she has her life with her dad and we both adore her and she adores us both do you know what I mean 
Um, but it was it was the hardest, one of the hardest things, even though considering what I'd gone through, it was as, is equally as tough. Mm-hmm. It really, really was. And I, I'm divorced since um, I think January 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I went on my own. I represented myself. I didn't have a solicitor because I couldn't afford one. Mm. Um, and I remember my dad being outside. Um, he'd finished work and, and, and went straight to where we were. And, you know, my dad doesn't talk. My dad's just a normal, hard-working Dublin dad. Didn't, not very affectionate. Mm. Never tell you he loved you. Ooh. But he was just there, outside, waiting on me. And sometimes <laughs> that's mm. all it is. Just, you don't need to say anything. You mm. know what I mean? Sometimes it's actions, you know, and... You know, we're going for a bite to eat now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? want some tea. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think myself, my dad went for soup and a sandwich or something locally, and I was like, right, well now I'm divorced. Mm. <laughs> On top of everything top else. Of everything else. You know. Um, and how do you deal with like? Uh, I think a lot of people as well, because like, I know I have a friend that's struggling a little bit. That she's gone through a separation, and now the man, the husband, is a totally d- new man with his new partner. Yeah, I don't. We don't have that really. Um, mm. We, we. I suppose we don't really know what the other does. But for, obviously, through Ella, mm. he, he he would he 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 just seems to be um, there for her. He mm. works and looks after her, and I work and look after her. We mm. neither of us have kind mm. of gone down that route. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, so I I do I do think yeah, for, I do see couples, and I and I would imagine it's hard mm. for some. For me, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Because there's no feelings there. Yeah. At all. Right. At all. Mm. And hadn't been for a long time, even before we separated. So I think it, it wouldn't bother me. Mm. It would probably bother Ella yeah. a lot more than me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can see why um, people struggle. But I, I just think you have to look back at why you did it. Mm. If it was your decision. Mm. I'd imagine if it wasn't your decision, then that makes it harder. Yeah. And then that's different altogether. Um, but I think... F- Ella's happiness for me is what's more important than it wouldn't have been good mm. to stay in that situation. It wouldn't have been a good relationship for her to grow up in because you knew even as a toddler, the atmosphere around wasn't good. So mm. you, it's not right to bring children up through all the different ages and stages. Don't get me wrong, it's hard with Ella. She's a teenager who idolizes her daddy mm. who can do no wrong and, Mammy just <laughs> provides the lunchbox yeah. and gives out about the homework and mm. gives out about the bedroom not being tidy and at the moment. But I'm sure she'll grow out of that, like, do you know what I mean? And I hope one day she'll look and say, my mammy worked hard for what we have to give me what I have. Maybe. <laughs> like, she, she knows what she wants. Mm. Um, she's very strong. She's a Taurus. And she's right. a Taurus. Mm. so she's uh yeah she's getting quite independent and um, she's doing her junior cert mocks in a few weeks right with all that drama going on she won't open a book but sure look she'll get there she'll get there in the end did she or does she know about brian has she been curious <laughs> as getting older about brian um no she would she like there's uh, i have one little photo of him in my bedroom in the window it's not visible really mm. it's you know nearly tucked in behind the curtain it's mm. there um, there's pictures of them in, in my mom's house and my sister's houses like so they've never taken them down and I suppose as a baby who's that man with my mm, mommy mm, mm. so she's grown up knowing that Brian was here before your daddy and um, yeah and she knows he, he obviously passed away and stuff like and uh, she 
the odd time maybe over the last couple of years she might have thrown in a question out mm. of the blue that you'd say Jenny where did that come from and mm. I just answer her honestly like but I do hide like a, you know my hurt and my tears and stuff from her because I think at that age it's very mixed up as it is mm. and, you know her daddy's in one place and her mammy's in another and I think that's enough mm. like for for her um but she'd be she you know I could tell her things if I mm. wanted to do you know that way mm. like but she does know he was around and that 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 you know I, I would never want my mom and dad to take down the photos or my sisters or you know we only had um I have a godson he's 21 now in June so he would have been a year old mm. when Brian passed and he was the only one so the others have never met Brian but they all know who he is yeah they all know who uncle Brian mm. was you know which is it's lovely like and I gave Brian's rugby shirt to Sean and he has a hanging in a frame in his room and yeah. I know it didn't work out for you but yeah. for someone else that has lost someone and is looking was did, did you find any judgment or when you started see I suppose I did it a bit arseways <laughs> if I can say that mm. um we were to go to Australia on the 12th of October on our honeymoon so I went on my own did you and his friends were living over there and I decided I'd take a month off work and I would go to Australia. What was that flight like? Horrific. I'll never forget going through the gates in Dublin Airport and willing every ounce of me not to look back because they were all sobbing. <laughs> my mum, my dad, my sisters, my friends, my aunties, uncles, they were all sobbing their hearts out. Did they not want you to go? No. Because it was still only the year. Um, and I just remember... You have to go. Just keep going. This you have to do this. Um, and his friends were waiting for me in Sydney. Um, it was a friend from HMV days, like, mm. and his beautiful girlfriend who had lived here for a while as well and hung out with me here. So mm. I knew them. Mm. Um, and they, they 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 didn't live together even in Australia at the time. Now they're married and they've three beautiful kids. Um, but I I lived for two weeks at one and two weeks with the other. Like, mm. do you know mm. what I mean? And um, it was a funny story. A, a girl from school happened to be coming to Sydney around the same time that mm. I was due to leave. So I decided, you know, I'll stay a bit longer. Okay. <laughs> and I went travelling with these girls from school who I didn't hang around with at the time, but they were in the circle. Yeah. Or, and I knew them and they knew me. And look, I, I suppose I just left behind here what... Um, I, tra- I probably left a lot of the grief here. And it was the only way that I could deal with it. Um, but I ended up staying in Australia for a year and a half. <laughs> I never came back. I met Ella's dad. Um, I, you know, asked my mum and dad to empty my house. Rented out. So I think I wasn't in their company for the to, yeah. to feel the shock, yeah, or the shame, or to hear the judgment. Mm. And I just I was oblivious, mm. um, and I was just. Um, I was working in travel still in Sydney. I was down in like, you know, the KPMG finance building at Darling Harbour mm. overlooking the Opera House. And I was out on, you know, yachts at the weekend. And mm. I was just, I, I did leave it behind. But then by coming, ho- I, I wanted to come home. And when I wanted to come home, Ella's dad came with me. And it was the wrong thing to do because he didn't really want to come. He wanted to stay there. Right. And I think he always resented coming home, mm. even though he wanted to be with me, which was lovely mm. too. Um, 
And yeah, just, yeah. Resentment's a huge thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it just et into the relationship. Mm. You know, I suppose I didn't realise that coming back home would put me back into that circle of grief. And then I had to deal with having someone there who didn't want to be there because they wanted to be back in Australia. Mm. And it was just, it was bitter. It was bitter, yeah. And look, I got engaged, I got married and I had Ella. And then I was like, right, no, I need to move on or I just... And did you know that quite quickly? Yeah, yeah. It was just, can I say, a mistake? Can I say that? I know, I know. I hate to say that because Ella obviously is not Not a mistake. mistake. She's beautiful, I love her. You know, um, she makes me (laughs) cry and laugh every day. Mm. (laughs) But like, yeah, I know, I hate to say that. Mm. It's hard to say that. Mm. But look, you know, if you can't admit your mistakes... You know, it was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just, I was caught up in something else mm. that made me forget. You know. And then you come back and it's like, bang. bang. Yeah. You know. And it's then like it, the grief is yeah. like and then, here. then it was like, do I, like, where do I live? Like, my house was rented out. I was back with my mum and dad. And then I bought another one. So it was like, okay, well, I'll move in there. But then we moved in there. You know, and um, yeah, and I just I got married within the year. God, like, well, I was I said Brian died in October two thousand and two, and I was married by December two thousand and five, and then Ella was born in May two thousand and seven. So it was all just very yeah. I just went with the motions. I just went to yeah. what I was thought was the thing to do, mm. and it was wrong. But in your grief, it's just you make different decisions that are, yeah. are made. And like my friends would say, God, if we had a said to you, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, would you have listened? No, probably yeah. not. And I, like to this day, I still think about some of the things that I went through and I, I still go through and I say, I don't know, I've been a rubbish mom, I've been a rubbish daughter, I've been a rubbish friend, I've been a rubbish sister. And I have, but I can say that. Because I have, and I was horrible to everyone at some point because of grief. But I wouldn't have been horrible otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, yeah, like there was some horrible moments, you know, when like everyone's lives still go on. So your friends getting engaged and getting married and having their babies all in this such a short space of time. And you're still actually trying to cope with this huge loss. And the hardest thing I ever had to do, and I'll never forget it, was to walk up the aisle of the church that I had walked behind the coffin a few years later as a bridesmaid for my friend knowing that I should have been walking up that aisle to marry Brian that was one of and I cried and some people were annoyed don't cry you can't cry you know for the photos and you can't you can't you can't you shouldn't Where's the rule book? Yeah. Where is the rule book? It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And even when I look back at the, at the photos and at the beautiful bride and beautiful groom, and I was, you know, I was gorgeous. Mm. I was the perfect bridesmaid mm. in my beautiful dress. And I was like a stick. There wasn't a pick on me. Mm. I didn't really eat much, probably. Probably drank too much vodka. Um, you know, you just... And, and I wasn't the bestest of friends. I didn't help organize the hen and I probably didn't do much on the day apart from put the dress on and walk up the aisle and hold the flowers and 
But that was enough, Mandy. I know, but you ne- you all- I always look back and think I wasn't the best friend and I wasn't the best daughter. I wasn't the best sister. But the thing is, all those people are still in your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They stuck with you. Yeah. And they stuck with you for a reason. Yeah, and they're like my friends and family. And you know they're my everything. I know. You know that. Mm. Like, um, even the new work crowd who are only my colleagues for the last 15 years. Mm. They didn't even know Brian. Mm. No, Brian. Mm. <laughs> um, and they're, yeah, they're all amazing. Some don't understand, you know. Um, one of my closest friends now, Debbie, who I only met eight years ago, is one of the most amazing girls you could ever meet. We have just got such a connection. We're just, you know, she gets me. Mm. And if I need to cry because of Brian, who's someone she never even met, mm. she lets me, you know, and she listens. And I think for anyone that's struggling, just find someone that will listen. Even if it's the postman. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't have to be someone that you know, you have a connection with or someone that cares for you, just don't keep it all inside. Just talk. And you will help you and you will help someone else at some stage by talking. You know, you see so much sad stuff on the news. I don't really listen to the news or watch the news at all and I haven't for years. But, you know, all the horrible things that have happened in the last six, eight weeks Mm -hmm. here and, you know, that lovely lady that's still missing, Mm -hmm. you know, and even though they're sightings, you still say to yourself, how, how sad must she be inside that mm. she's still missing? Mm. That, 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 that you would feel so maybe wrong in life or wrong, done, done wrong by that you can't talk to somebody. Mm. You know, and like I said, I know I said that about driving out in front of an Arctic and I don't t- say it lightly like it's a joke. I, it's a horrible thing to have to say. That's how I used to feel in the darkest, darkest days. But I just wouldn't because I know that the support around me and the family and the friends that have, you know, been there for me through thick and thin will, and, and still are and will be. And even through the last two years, they've been there. And I say this, I said it last time with Leah and I'll say it again. The conversation around grief is starting to change. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether it's COVID or what it is, but there is people out there using their platforms. And I'll call her out again. It's Cathy from Grief Ireland. She's the most beautiful page. And they talk about grief. So grief should be, and if you're struggling at all, maybe pop over to Cathy's page or, you know, and see what's happening there. Because grief, we are talking a lot more about grief because it was brushed under the carpet. For years. For years. And it destroyed so many people in their grief. I've seen my mum who has lost brothers and sisters, so many of them, and so young. And even her mum and dad, like, like her dad was knocked down when she was 15. Her mum passed away when she was eight months pregnant with me, you know. And my mum's like a rock. You know, she's the one that keeps us all together. And through everything and our own, like, illnesses and ups and downs, like, still wouldn't talk about feelings yeah yeah because <laughs> they're old school yeah it's that generation it is that generation and everyone just kept everything to themselves and just yeah it's 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 good to talk it is yeah. mandy we can't let i can't let you go without talking about the usually successful career that you have um within travel counselors Um you just have literally you know taken over the world nearly with it but um you, so you you own your own business now as travel counsellor. 
Yeah, I'm a self-employed travel counsellor yeah. now, uh, 15 years this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's obviously it's had its ups and downs. The last two years have been really hard, but I just, I love what I do. I have a passion for travel. And you know what it's like. You just it's just this bug yeah. <laughs> that you can't get rid of. And um, you know, and even in in the last two years, where people would turn to me and say, you know, would you not do something else? You know, you need you know you need to earn. Mm. I thought, no, this is this is going to change. This is going to turn around. This is going to mm. be fine. Gonna, you know, and I I I just I suppose I just was there for my clients like throughout it all. And obviously, I was still working and dealing through all the paperwork mm. and the admin. So when the travel ban li- lifted last July, like my feet haven't touched <laughs> to the ground since last July. It's been crazy. It's been busy. Um, I love social media and mm. I use that platform um, just to show my love for travel. And every now and then I'll, I'll share a little bit of me on the pages. Not much. Mm. Toby, our newbie, our dog. Mm. Um, you know, I've mentioned Brian like the odd time not very often I might throw up an, an, a picture of us but people obviously who are my clients would just think that that's my man yeah, yeah <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. know yeah. That, 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 that he's not here anymore or, or the story but um, yeah travel I just I just love travel and I love all the gang and you know the Irish travel trade is very small yeah it's very small mm. and I do always say that um, very male orientated mm. and I've always said um you know, a, a lot. There's a lot of them hitting retirement age mm. <laughs> in the last few years and mm. in the next few years. And I always say, you know, we're the chicks that are there, mm. have been there for the last. Well, I'm there 28 years. Yeah. That you know, we're going to be the ones mm. holding together the Irish travel trade in in, in 10, 15, 20 years time because mm. the old lads will be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of them need to go. That's terrible, but you know, there's no way you are, and you know, I would say it's your face as well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you've won accolades in that for like being the most helpful supporter and stuff like that yeah, as well. Yeah, we, we, we just we had a few things during the, the last couple of years, I suppose, because we had no um, awards for sales and figures and mm. reaching targets and stuff. So we had some lovely awards, and um, you know, one of them was like TC Hero, um, um, and I was um, voted for by my colleagues for being, you know, so supportive and. Um, just positive and you know being there for them and for my clients throughout all of this and that that was just like that was just that's amazing it's mm, amazing it's and it's really lovely and um um and, uh, and i think uh, then this year was tc champion it was called instead mm. of hero and i mm. won it again so like to win it once is huge mm. but to win it twice it's just just goes to show who the person you were don't Mandy. but i love to help and mm. i do i like you know and as busy as the last six, eight weeks have been, and they've been crazy, 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 crazy. I, you know, huge amount of departures over Christmas. Mm. And there's a lot of handholding needs to be going on, and I would still try and help anyone that I can. Like I want all our colleagues in not just travel counsellors, but in the trade to mm. succeed, mm. to be successful, to be happy in what they do, and to get back the love that they had for travel because a lot of us lost it. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and even me, I had my days where mm. I cried a river that is this worth it yeah but we know it is it is and it is yeah. it's hard to see co- like yeah. fallen colleagues but like i think yeah you'll stick with it because you stick with it because when you're thinking about that mojito or that porn star yeah. by the beach tell <laughs> me your favorite you, the in the world is your oyster oh. where is the place you're going uh, well i have a huge huge passion and everyone knows this for the maldives mm-hmm. and for the seychelles um, my most memorable trip was uh, November 2018. Myself and two of my colleagues went to the Seychelles for a week and did six or seven of the different islands. Wow. And 
it was just the most special most amazing trip mm. it was just really fabulous and we had a, an absolute ball and I, that, I'll always treasure mm. that like but anywhere I will anywhere that's new I've you know I've plans for the summer you know um, plans for Easter um, uh, plans for the Maldives for October mm. <laughs> plans in place for 2022 because look we got to go nowhere and you know um, I'll go anywhere I, I, I actually have a thing about going somewhere twice why I don't generally go somewhere mm. twice because there's so many places but I actually am going back to the Maldives in October it will be my second time but the first time was true work so right. I want to go and as Kuramati as yeah as a mm. holiday mm. Um, and I'm going to Kuramati and I'm bringing my sister so um, yeah. and Brian will be with you yeah, he's with me all the time. He is. And we're actually going, um, we were going to go the first weekend in October. And I said, no, Brian is 20 years gone. We need to mark it. We're going to organize a big walk somewhere. I don't know where, Wicklow Mountains, whatever. Mm. I'm going to ask everybody I know, everybody mm. you know, mm. to come and walk with us for Brian. We're going to raise some money for um, Headway Ireland and the Brain Injury Association and just donate it to them um we just walk for five or six k mm. not, nothing big just all get together and, and walk in memory of, of brian and, and everything that he was and just try and get as many people as you can and um, to walk so that's the plan for first of october this year and then myself and my sister fly out the following week <laughs> and mandy come here can i ask you the last thing because it is quite surreal when you do see it on like Bluebird CSI, like in the Fallen Officer, um, that moment of you walking to, and seeing the uniform lined up there and being there. Yeah. Does it, that it, stay with you? Yeah. I'll never, ever forget it. I don't even remember the faces, but I just remember the blue and the shirt and the trousers and the shoes <laughs> and them all outside the gates. And they were all down the corridors of the Mara Hospital. And just, you know, they, they all just look so lost. And, and, and me not knowing what it was and it, it was like a scene from a movie walking into the A&E and, and, and just you know as I said they handed me the rings um, I wore them holding them with my other finger for seven weeks to the point that I had to get physio to put my hand back right they fell down to the side of the bath in my mom's house one of the nights like I was there and I was hysterical that my dad had to literally come up to the house and take to come upstairs and take the bath out to get oh them oh my god i've never taken them off me um one is a history of ireland ring that i bought him as a valentine's present and the other one we bought in um harsonis and crete in a little jewelry shop on a holiday when i was probably 20 so it's 25 26 years old wow. and look they're still there i'll always always carry them in my heart and i'll always carry them in my smile he had a huge smile. He had a huge handshake. He had a huge heart. And that is why he wasn't gone in 24 mm. hours. And that's why I was able to say to the doctor, you don't know him. He's not leaving here in 24 hours. And I was right. But I'll tell you one thing, and I, I, I actually, I forgot to mention this. I used to always say to Brian, you won't live till you're 40. I don't know why. I don't know how. But Brian lived life to the max. He lived it on full throttle. He had written off a brand new golf the year before like and came out without without a scratch mm. and I remember that time a year before having to go in and see him strapped up in a, a bed I remember saying to him that day um, I think it was a Sunday that's your warning to slow down that's your warning to 
mm-hmm. you know take a step back you know always always in a rush always in a hurry always living life to the max and I just always had this gut feeling from the time that I met Brian that he was never going to live till he was 40 I don't know where it came from I just always knew so I think and when people say to me do you only ever get one soulmate in your life I think you only get one soulmate in your life I think you meet other people that make you happy and then you meet other people that will love you and you will love them but do you only have one soulmate I think yeah and he he was mine yeah he was mine you're gonna remember him it's 20 years with a walk okay well let us know about that won't you will do yeah and on that note Mandy we leave it there Thank you. Because you have a lovely night out to get yourself ready for. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.